Hey, and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode, we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with this ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists to divers to underwater photographers, citizen scientists, and people who just have an intense passion for marine life. My name is Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of Sea Creatures Podcast is Josie. And she is a bit of a seahorse queen, I would call her. If, when I think of seahorses, I think of Josie. So welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Normally, I would say, why this animal? But I kind of didn't, didn't even have to ask what sea creature you would do. And I actually saved this sea creature, so seahorses, which is what we're doing today. I saved the seahorses just for you because I knew that this was your jam. So... Why why are seahorses so special to you? I think seahorses are special to a lot of people. There is a myth in the Aboriginal um, culture that when you find a seahorse washed up, that you will meet your true love. For someone that might have found a few seahorses that are washed up, maybe that you've got several true loves, I don't know. But yeah, I just think they're such a, they're such a beautiful creature. And there's so many different types. There's actually 53 types of seahorses around the world. And my favourite is the potbelly seahorse. I find them the most beautiful out of all the seahorses. But in saying that, you know, it's like travelling to different countries in the world. You can't say which one's your favourite because really they're all unique. They've got their own beauty, you know. So I just love them. And plus one really interesting fact, and maybe we can save that to the end, is, is that I really love where their heart is. And a lot of people don't know where that is. So maybe you can take the time through the show to try and guess where their heart, where the heart of a seahorse is. I have, I have no idea. Seahorses, if you don't know what a seahorse is, you know, they range from a couple of centimetres to about 30 centimetres long, I would say. And they float upright. So most fish swim along um, kind of like parallel to the ocean, whereas seahorses swim along perpendicular, so kind of sitting upright. Yeah, so the pot-bellied one is one that's found in the, on the east and south coast of Australia, and they're one of the larger ones. Yeah, so why why this seahorse, Josie? Of all the seahorses you would see? Um, I think because, well, I, I mean, I really love the white seahorse, the pygmy seahorse. I mean, they're also unique in the wee sea dragon. But I really like the pot-bellied seahorse because it's a little bit more confident than the other seahorses. Like we obviously in Port Phillip Bay, we have the weedy sea dragon, the big belly seahorse and the short-headed seahorse. The short-headed seahorse is known for being extremely shy. You would know this. The short-headed seahorse has babies all year round, whereas the pot belly seahorse only has babies from around November through until March. But when they're born, the pot belly and the short-headed, at around the same time on a full moon, you'll actually see the two species side by side and around the same size. So a short-headed seahorse that's, say, a month old will be hanging out with a newly born pot-bellied seahorse and they're around the same size. So when we see the seahorse babies floating on that plankton level, it's actually quite amazing to think, wow, one of those is going to grow to around six centimetres at the most. 
and the other one's going to grow to this, the length of a ruler. And here they are hanging onto a piece of weed, multiples of them, you know, sometimes there's one, two, and, you know, they're working different rotations and rudders. And I think when we see seahorses, we think, oh, they're just, you know, like, I mean, they're the slowest swimming fish known, the smallest seahorse in the world. I think it swims 1.5 metres in an hour. So <laughs> that's how slow it is. Uh, that it'll take a long time to get to the shops. But I chose the potbelly seahorse because it is that it's more confident. So over the time when I've photographed the potbelly seahorse, the males are very, very timid, but the females are quite, quite gusto, you know. And there's been seahorses that I've photographed for several years that once they seem to know who you are, they... They're, they're a little bit like they're a little bit show-offish actually they don't mind coming out and and showing you that they're grazing I could keep going and going and going but I want to stop so because you might have different questions so yeah I mean just just on the confidence thing I think you're so correct because one thing that's always struck me as amazing is because I've dived for them a few times as well like and if you go for a night dive and you take a torch down their confidence really shows up because underwater torches attract a lot of tiny little shrimp and shrimp and mycids are kind of what these guys eat mainly. And so, yes. yeah, the, you bring this torch out and all of a sudden the seahorse that's kind of just sitting normally just jumps out and just starts going crazy. It starts like eating ah. everything. Oh, well, that's really interesting because I don't use any flashes or strobes or anything like that. I'm always relying on that natural light. I mean, that's a choice that I make in the photography that I take because I just love that natural light aspect. I know what you mean when you say that because the difference between a seahorse when it's flat and when it's like turbulent on top of the water and the difference between what they're like on a pylon as to how they are out on the sand. And I recently was going to talk about in a post about a seahorse that I've been photographing that she was out on the sand grazing. Then when she saw me, she I could tell that she was just over. She wasn't up for me at all. She's like, no, no, it's not going to happen. And so she just lay down and pretended that she was dead on the oh. ground. <laughs> and I was laughing because I was just thinking, oh, you're not really dead. And I was thinking, does she know that I'm not going to be down here for that long, you know, snorkeling free diving and so I went down and then she's playing dead and then I came up and I had some air and as I looked down she got up and she quickly went to for the weed so you know they're they're so clever they're so clever yeah I think we really underestimate them yeah with how they do that and the different behaviors because like yeah some of them as you said like will just be like no nah, person I don't want to be near them whereas others like especially if food is up I always find that because I do try and photograph their eyes a fair bit because they've got this really, I mean, seahorse eyes, one cool thing about seahorse eyes is they move independently and like yeah. they can look kind of like both directions at once, which yeah. is crazy. <laughs> I've got a few friends like that. <laughs> yeah, you never play punch bug. Do you know punch bug? The yeah. game punch bug? Yeah, they, in French they call it choupette. Yeah, I've played, I've played choupette with someone who can see around corners. So, yeah, I highly advise not playing punch bug with a seahorse because I think they'd win. <laughs> yeah, well, well, seahorses don't actually officially have a stomach. So they do have what they call a stomach, but they don't have, like, that lower intestine. So a seahorse baby will eat up to 2,000 times in one day. 
And then once they get bigger and bigger, then they uh, like a pot belly seahorse. So a big belly seahorse will eat probably around 250 times a day. So they need to continuously eat to live. So, I mean, you and I both know when we see them as these tiny little babies floating on that plankton level and they're so susceptible and then, you know, then when we see them and they're bigger and they're in the weed and they've found their home because they actually do inhabit an area. So they inhabit an area of around 1.5 metres and then the, so a female will be in that and then the male will overlap that area. So just a little tip, if you see one seahorse, pretty much you can guarantee you'll see two if you look hard enough. Ah, uh, I have noticed that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they are, they can be pretty hard to find, like tucked up in the weed, as you said. I find almost the babies are easier to find. One thing I just, I just have to, I just love about the baby seahorses is we spoke earlier with the short head and the big belly, how they wrap around the same piece of like grass or whatever that's floating near the plankton level. The way that when you swim over to them and you, you know, you're like, oh, wow, there's a seahorse and you've got your camera. Most of the time they're like, oh, oh, I don't want to be near this thing. And so they try and swim away the other way. But as you said, they're so slow, but they have this tiny little fin on their back that they beat as hard as they can. And it's, it's yeah. Like watching someone trying to run away whilst on a treadmill, like they just yeah. don't seem to move anywhere. They have got these big eyes that stare at you. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you can imagine they have this body mass and then they have these two tiny little pectoral fins and then this rear dorsal fin, I mean, the way when they swim through the water and it waves and, you know, they, I mean, they're just so incredible and, you know, they can make that dorsal fin, that rear dorsal fin actually sit flat to the back of their back. And you imagine the thinking that they go through to actually protect the, the ability for them to swim with those two tiny side fins and the rear fin, and then also have that, that ability to hold on and we've seen at times with those baby seahorses where they've lost the end of their tail. And so, you know, I don't know, have you ever seen that? But I've seen no. that. So you'll see a beautiful, tiny, tiny baby, and then you'll see that it's already lost its tail. So the biggest predator for seahorses is crabs, and the next biggest predator is boats. So oftentimes we're thinking that seahorses are just dwelling on that lower level. So when they're born, they dwell on the plankton level. And the reason why they dwell on the plankton level is because they're actually not heavy enough to sink down to the bottom of the sea. So that's why they join together in numbers, because you'll notice that when they do that runaway thing, when they're all on a thing, they not only run away, but they start declining and they need yeah. the numbers to descent. I think as times passed that people are more and more aware locally that they can see these seahorses on that plankton level. And I was saying earlier, like once we see them, you know, when they're this big, like a pot belly seahorse, for example, they have gone on such an incredible journey. They are like the, we think that they're just stationary on that piece of weed, but oh no, they are like going with the current, you know, these guys are adventurous and for them to get to the size that they get to, only 0.03% of all seahorses born actually survive. Serene, they can have up to like 2,500 young, one or two out of a whole um, clutch, I guess, like survive, which is 
It's crazy. Yeah, you know, if you've ever seen, like, as you were talking on the grass thing, you'll see like eight or nine on it together and you just kind of hope that they all make it, don't you? I know, I know. Like one part of you, I have to be honest, one part of you goes, oh, I just want to take you home. And then you're like, no, 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 I can't take you home. Oh, I've, have a lovely life. You know, and you think, oh, I know. you see them in so many of them because we know like when we go look for them, you know, it'll be one and then two and then it's like, oh, wow. Or you get out and you're like, wow, we saw eight for a dive. Like, that's amazing, you know, or we saw 12 and that was incredible. And then all of a sudden when they're babies, it's like, oh, I saw 20 on one piece of thing. Like, look at me, I'm getting all excited. Like, it's just so beautiful to see them. And, yeah, so, yeah, you do. You wish for them the greatest of success. But, look, I think that's that one thing. You never underestimate a seahorse because they are actually known as the assassins of the sea. So they have a – they're actually under – and I'm not sure if I say this correctly because I am just a citizen science a scientist – is that um, the probiota, so they're under the same protection, the same probiota as a great white shark. So the great white sharks have a 68% strike rate for prey and the seahorse has a 98% strike rate. I just keep giving thanks to the universe for not making seahorses as big as sharks. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You, you would have seen it in like movies and stuff like, you know, King Triton's riding a giant seahorse. And when you think about that fact that they never miss their prey, pretty, pretty scary. If they were the size of a shark too, like they would just suck you up. You'd be gone in a flash. <laughs> yeah. So they, so they actually have this mechanism where they open their jaw and they suck in their prey and they actually have a sound that happens when they suck in the prey, they actually click it and smash it into nothing, into oh, a wow. paste, and then they swallow it. Huh. So they just, they just kind of eat mushy fish. Yeah. And obviously they're carnivores because they're fish themselves. But I think the interesting thing about seahorses too is that exoskeleton. So, you know, when we think about spider crabs, for example, a lot of people are thinking, oh, look at all the dead crabs, not realising that this crab has pushed itself out of this outer skeleton. You know, we sort of, I mean, when we think about us as humans, we think, oh, you know, this is me kind of thing. Whereas the seahorse, actually its skeleton sits on the outer of its body and the and that's that's what you're seeing. So I actually have here... Oh, wow. Yeah, so this was found on Seaford Beach, washed up by a friend of mine. And I, this is a male. And when I've let him dry out, I've tried to keep his pouch open. But, I mean, look at him. Isn't he just amazing? Yeah, so, I mean, he's, he's about the size. So, Josie's showing he's about the size of, like, just bigger than your hand, yeah. A little bit longer than your hand. He's, he's in the perfect position. His little tail curled and like it, it almost <laughs> looks like it's it's fake. Like just amazing. Yeah, so amazing. And so when he washed up, so he still has his side fins and he still has his rear fin. So just a miracle this. And I absolutely treasure it. I treasure it. Yeah, and I mean like we're just talking about the the bony kind of plates, and you can see. If you like look at the seahorse picture, you can see that that's how they get their protection is that they have like these bony fused plates. If you kind of like if your spine, 
like each vertebrae totally engulfed you. And, and that's yeah. why they're able to kind of swim around really slowly because they're just all bone, which is, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that's amazing about them is, is that, um, you know, if we were to pass away, we would decompose and all would be left would be our skeleton. And this is what I mean about having that outer skeleton, because once they're gone, they're still absolutely complete, which is just an absolute miracle in itself. An interesting fact about seahorses is, I don't know if you know this, is, is that they actually, if they're attacked and bitten, let off a really pungent smell to their prey. So they have that secret um, mechanism. And as we know, thinking about that marine environment is such a toxic environment, you know, it's like working, I don't know, I don't know a toxic work environment, but, you know, it's like getting up each day, you know, it's dog eat dog world, you know, they're always having to look out and make sure that they're not eaten and done. And then we were talking before the segment and talking about that amazing picture where we had the seaside scavenge this year and we got them to carve the smooth ray from sand and we put the a seahorse on the tail of a smooth ray. And that was actually based on a photo taken by a gentleman across in Brighton of a seahorse catching the ride on the tail of a, of a smooth ray. So seeing those friendly moments between sea creatures is actually just so inspiring. You just think, wow, we just don't know anything. Like I was like, oh, that's the bus to school, you know, <laughs> or, you know, he's getting a lift to his mate's house and he's just taken the easy road. Scientists still to this day cannot work out the mechanism of a seahorse's tail. It is the most intricate piece of engineering in the world. And they're still to this day trying to work out how it's formed. So when we think of a seahorse tail, we think it's round, but it's actually not. It's actually square. But this movement of this tail, they're actually able to move in 360 degrees. And like I was saying before, that's them. That's their life. Their life is this and their dorsal and pectoral fins. Yeah, because their tail yeah. like lets them lets them hold on to their habitat against the current. And, you know, I mean, if you can't hold on to a piece of seaweed when the current goes, you're, you're just going to get swept away into the big blue yeah. and there's not a really good food source. One other thing, like, in seahorse kind of biology, I guess, or just really cool facts is we have to cover their reproduction and mating because I think that's just the craziest of all the facts. Yeah, yeah. And, I look, it's, it's so beautiful because so many people come up to me and talk to me about seahorses and the reproduction of seahorses is really interesting because actually the female has a penis-like instrument. So under the belly, there's a little fin between the tail and the belly, and it's actually an anal fin. And then in front of that, she actually has, it's like penis-like, that comes out. So what she does is there's a courting process beforehand um, with seahorses. And then once, you know, she decides that she would like to deposit her eggs in the mail and he, instead of him going around showing her his bits, I'm trying to be like <laughs> normal, but it's kind of reversed. You know, the girl's like, I've got the eggs and I can do this. And he's like, look at my pouch. Look at how healthy I am. So once he convinces her and they do this sort of dance, this ritual, and in every species it's different. 
And the amount of babies that they have in every species of seahorse is different too. So depending on the seahorse will be depending on the amount of babies they have. So like a short-headed seahorse is around 200 babies, whereas a pot-bellied seahorse, they have more babies, they're a bigger, bigger seahorse. What they believe is they believe the reason why the male actually carries the babies is because it gives the female and the opportunity to produce eggs again. So whilst he's pregnant and carrying the babies, she's able to produce another brood of eggs. So that actually what happens is, is that she impregnates the male using the penis-like instrument that she has that comes out near the anal fin. And she inserts that, she deposits the eggs and around 45 days, he just gets kind of bigger and bigger. And as it's closer to him having the babies, he begins to draw in salt water into his tummy. When we see a, a male seahorse and we can see that he's quite inflated and we know that he's, he's kind of ready and around the full moon too, they have this ritual. He then goes and gives birth through contractions. So he has actual contractions. And I'd encourage anybody to look that up, seahorse contractions. And I mean, it's just the cutest little thing. They, some of them, they come out holding on to their brother's nose, you know, <laughs> um, it's just the, you know, they, they kind of get spat out and they're on their own from that day forward. You know, the, the parenting of a seahorse, well, I'm a parent myself, I think he kind of got off easy. The kids just kind of float off into the ether. The interesting part, and most women would cringe about this, is, is that the female then comes the next day after he's given birth, that tiring effort of giving birth anywhere from, I think the last, the least amount of seahorses born is around 20 and the most is around 2,500. So there's a bit of an effort, it's not just one. <laughs> she comes and impregnates him again the day after. So oh, he wow. is pregnant. He is pregnant again. Thinking about the potbelly seahorse, you can understand why her, the male carrying the babies is so important because they're only breeding for that time. They're limited by their species as to how many they can reproduce. And then on top of that, their, their mortality rate is so high because they're so adventurous. It's because they're just so adventurous. They're just daredevils, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just thinking of like the, you say said before, like go and check out a video of a sea, male seals giving birth because it is amazing the way he just pushes them out. It, it's, I feel like it's almost a little bit like end of school, right? Like inside <laughs> his belly, he's got 200, like 300 different, like, you know, kind of little kids and they're hanging out, they're chilling. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, well, get out of here. And he squeezes and like does the contractions and they, they shoot out they, and they literally shoot out. And I, I think if you could record the expression on their face, it would be one of utter shock. Yeah, well, it's interesting because they talk about how seahorses are actually attracted to the light. And I think them having babies on the full moon is, is interesting because it gives them an instant kind of guide if that makes sense. Like they're just not being born into darkness. They're actually got the moon to go by. So it's really quite a, a ceremonial type thing. And I think that's why seahorses are seen to be quite mystic. There is a belief that they are, um, that once they mate, they mate for life. 
but that's actually not true. Just when we were sold on the fact that there was true love forever, we realized that it's actually not true at all. So um, they actually are swingers. They are known for swapping partners. They've done research on, on seahorses and found that if they remove a partner and replace it with another one, that the seahorses will adapt and then they'll just move on with their lives quite quickly. They don't hold yeah. on. They don't hold, <laughs> I think, they're not holding on to any grudges with relationships. <laughs> I think part of it too is because um, with like the breeding, they do a bit of like an intricate dance when they start off with, and they think it's kind of to get them synchronized. So that they're, you know, when the eggs are deposited into the male's belly, that it's not like missed. And so they're all swimming together. And I think it's kind of like they stay together for a season because they're just like, oh, well, I've already danced with this partner. Like they kind of know my moves. <laughs> you know, we can have a few. And then like, you know, before, if, you, if you've got to find a new one, you've got to go to all this effort. So I think that's kind well, of- Well, I was going to say was, well, you're right in that once they mate. So once she deposits her eggs, she actually stays around and she goes every morning and she checks on him. So they will do this dance for several days prior. So it is about that unison because at the end of the day, she's actually going to give birth like by depositing these eggs. And she does, she needs that synchronicity, ability to be synchronized with her partner because you imagine the day you decide that you're going to drop the eggs off into his pouch and it's like a northerly, like you're in trouble, you know, <laughs> that stuff, that's, this is real business, you know. She has to line herself and get those eggs into the pouch, you know. She's like the Michael Jordan of the sea, really, you know. She's preparing herself to get all those eggs in one basket. And I mean, that's an incredible effort. So yeah. What like so what's your favorite experience you've had with the seahorse? There's one seahorse that I photograph and I've been photographing her for about five years. She goes and she comes back. And on my Instagram, I actually have filmed her feeding. And it's like as soon as she sees me, she knows that it's me. And her behavior is the same every time she comes out. She's proud. She loves to show me how she can hunt for food, you know, and she'll stay around. And there's been times when I've gone, oh, you know, because I don't like to be in their faces too much and all that sort of stuff. And I will be like, okay, I'll stop, you know, I'll stop photographing you now, you know. 300 photos is enough of one. <laughs> no, I'm exaggerating. And then I'll turn around and she's following me to the next pylon. Oh, wow. And I'm like, stop it. And that's <laughs> what I just love. You know, it's like they're little, that's, and you know, I'm not, I hope I don't sound like I'm condescending, but they're like a dog. It's like once they know you and they know that you're friendly and they know that you're not going to do anything to them, their nature is just to show you how, how, they in, how they're living, what they're doing, you know. And, I mean, obviously I can't say that for all seahorses because, like I talked about earlier, we, um, you know, they can get very frightened. And I think that that's a really good water etiquette for people to remember, especially when using flashes and strobes and things. Because I know everyone tries, well, not everyone, but a lot of people really try to get a good photo. And I think there's got to sort of be that limit because 
too many lights and flashes and strobes for seahorses and any marine creature actually blinds them. That's why I choose just to go by a natural light. Anyways, I'd probably lose a strobe if I used it. You know, you always see that person online going, I lost my strobe. I'd be like, that'd be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's like a really interesting point. Like I always talk about um, to people when I teach underwater photography, like why video lights and versus strobes. So there's two kinds of things when you take underwater photos, when you want to have artificial light and why strobes are just a single flash. And I think they give a lot less damage to the eye. Yeah. And even then I try and like, if I find a CS, I'll take two or three photos and then leave it be. And I think that's, yeah. you know, and, and once they kind of relax, as you said, they'll come near you. My actually, my favorite thing about them though, when you see them um, and you're trying to like, you know, interact with one or you're trying to get a photo is that, if they're out in the open, they'll turn away and they'll pretend you're not there. But if they're hidden behind the weed, they'll actually stare at you because they think they're hidden yeah. and they'll actually really have a good look at you. And it's, yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. You see them like, or you see them look at you with one eye and the other one's looking how to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> right, they're like, hi, see ya, you know. Uh, so we're almost to the end. So where is the heart? I, I'm still thinking. I'm, I'm, I'm on that. I can't I can't just give it up like that you have to at least have a go you have to try and think you know all the, the whole body of this seahorse where would you think that her heart is I would have to say like in her belly okay it's not in her belly one more go come on in just below her neck oh yeah so her heart is actually behind her pectoral fin oh wow so like quite high up when you see them and they're more transparent, you can actually see the heart. heart so just kind of, if, you, if your ear was a fin, which is what seahorses kind of have, and then just below your ear is uh, yeah. your heart, which is, wow, it's really crazy. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. thanks heaps for being on the podcast. And that kind of Thank brings you. us to the end of our seahorse episode. Thanks, Josie, very much. And if anyone wants to see more of your amazing photos and like just more about seahorses and stuff. What's the best way for them to do that? Um, the best way would probably just to follow on Instagram if people have Instagram. So my user account is share as in to share, um, S-H-A-R-E and then Josie. So yeah, so you can see lots of seahorses. Sometimes I have a bit of seahorse spam. I probably, and I was actually looking the other day, someone put on there, Oh, I love seeing, I've missed the seahorses. So I obviously haven't been posting enough about seahorses. I, I must do that. So if you want to see more seahorses and seahorses are never spam, uh, no matter how many pop up, because they're always amazing. Yeah, check out Josie's Instagram. Once again, thanks Josie. That's been amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Sea Creatures Podcast is hosted, produced and edited by myself, Matt Testoni. You can see more of my photography on Instagram, Matt underscore Testoni underscore photography, and my webpage, mtunderwatermedia.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and visit our Patreon account, patreon.com slash seacreaturespodcast. During this episode, we talked about the big belly seahorse and the potbelly seahorse. They're actually the same animal, same species, different name. Production assistance by George McGrath, and music by Dan Musil, and he's amazingly cool slide guitar. Tune in next time to hear all about the tasseled anglerfish with Steve Cooter. This has been the Sea Creatures Podcast, over and out.